Well, good morning again, and happy Father's Day, all you dads out there. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, taking a quick break from your study through Romans. A little review for Ephesians. This letter is all about God's sovereign grace. God's sovereign grace. Grace is undeserved enablement. And God's sovereign grace, it's all-powerful. And in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul outlines and describes the sovereign grace of the triune God. He tells us that the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. That the Son redeemed us and purchased us by His blood. And the Spirit now seals us as His children. In chapter 2, we learn that the sovereign grace of God can bring the dead to life and has permanently united His people. In chapter 3, the sovereign grace of God has accomplished His mysterious plan of bringing the Jews and Gentiles into one family of God. Then in chapter, in chapter 4, Paul shifts to how God's sovereign grace has changed our lives. It has changed who we are. It changed what we do and changes how we live. And this is where our passage comes in this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. In this passage, Paul is exhorting believers to consider their walk in this world. Ephesians uses the word walk to symbolize how people live their lives. And there's really two walks that you can be on. There's two paths. Those that follow Christ and those that reject Christ. Those that follow Christ will walk in in holiness, in love, in the light of the Word of God, and in wisdom. And that is the walk we're going to look at this morning. The walk of wisdom. The main point of today's passage is God wants you to consider how carefully you are walking in this wicked world. God wants you to consider how carefully you are walking in this wicked world. I had the privilege of studying this passage for my Greek class final. I took four semesters of Greek. And so for Greek 4, I had this passage assigned to me and I had to write a 20-page commentary on it. And so it's a very familiar passage for me. The first part of that project, you have to create an original translation. So you've got to look at the Greek and you've got to translate the Bible in your own words, but trying to keep the meaning. So to start, I'm going to read my translation, and I want you to make note of the differences, because there might be a few little differences here and there. The meaning is still the same, but I think that my translation kind of helps bring out some of those Greek ideas that might be missed in your ESV or New King James. So follow along, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, consider how carefully you are walking, not as unwise, but as wise, by making the most of the time, because the days are wicked. Because of this, do not become foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is reckless abandon, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing psalms and psalms with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. 
Let's ask for the Lord's blessing upon the message. Father, we thank you for this time to open your word. We pray that your spirit would enlighten our hearts this morning, that we'd be able to understand your truth and apply it to our lives. Give us faith, Lord, to believe your word and to obey it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this passage gives us three considerations to guide us toward walking in wisdom. The first consideration is found in verses 15 and 16. As it says in the ESB, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Number one, consider being wise by making the most of today. If you notice at the beginning of my translation, there was a therefore at the beginning of verse 15, because Paul is drawing a conclusion from the previous section. The verses before this section contrast the light of Christ with the darkness of the world. Look at verses 5 through 14. It says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We live in a dark and sinful world. And you can turn on your TV, turn it on the news, and all you'll see is sin and corruption and brokenness. Or you could, you know, at work, you hear your coworkers probably spilling some vile jokes or maybe even some blasphemy and definitely some gossip. We've all been cheated before or betrayed or lied to. And that's just the outside world. We have our own struggles with sin. We have our daily struggle with sin. And you can be doing so well one moment, but then something happens and then everything goes wrong. This is nothing new. Our struggle with sin, this world's struggle with sin, is nothing new. The world has been corrupted by sin ever since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Man has been sinning and finding ways to sin for a very long time. As his redeemed children, as God's people, we need to live a life of purity and holiness because we serve a pure and holy God. In contrast to the foolishness and the corruption of this world, we are called to live wisely. Paul is commanding us to actively consider how carefully we are living in this world. We need to examine our lives and determine what path we are on. Because there's only two paths to live on, right? There's the unwise and the wise. Two options. Broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the path to life. 
Sadly, the wise path can be a little lonely at times. seems like there's no one else on it. It can seem like everyone on the path of foolishness is having a great time, and this path of wisdom really isn't that great. But the Bible reminds us over and over again that life is short. Life is short, and the sinful pleasures of this world that look like so much fun are temporary. And they won't fix your problem. They won't give you lasting happiness. So why would you trade the eternal blessings of heaven for a temporary fix here on earth? Remember, you're not alone on this path. Look around you here at church. This is why we have a church so that we can congregate together and worship God and encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. If you're struggling to stay on the path of wisdom, then talk to your brother or sister in Christ here at church. Seek help. This first command in this passage to consider how careful you are walking reminds me of when a glass cup drops in the kitchen. Now you hear that sound. Ah, oh, I bumped it with my elbow. Now, what was once a freeway to the fridge is now a minefield, right? You don't start having a dance party in the kitchen when you just broke glass, right? You don't ignore the glass and say, ah, and you leave it and you go about your day. That would be evil. When there's glass on the floor, what do you do? You tiptoe very carefully and you get your shoes on and then you go get the broom and the vacuum, and you make sure you clean up every little piece. Why? Because those shards of glass really hurt when they go in your foot, and they're not easy to get out. You walk carefully around the broken glass because you don't want to get hurt. Our world is full of shards of glass. There are shards of sin everywhere. Sin can cut you so deep, it may never heal. So don't go dancing around the broken glass of this world. Don't get close to sin. Don't be foolish. Consider your walk to make sure you're on the path of wisdom. So what is this path of wisdom? Well, first, we have to answer the question, what is wisdom? Wisdom is understanding the truth that God has given to us and living accordingly. It's understanding God's revelation and living in light of it. In contrast, the unwise are those that reject God's truth or fail to apply it to their lives. So that is wisdom, understanding God's truth and living accordingly. Second, how can we walk in wisdom? How can we be on this path of wisdom? The answer is in the phrase, by making the most of the time, or redeeming the time. That term redeeming is a business term that refers to buying up all that is available. If you remember the toilet paper shortage of 2020, you know what this term means. Everyone was buying toilet paper just because the word was spreading that there was going to be a shortage. So it created a shortage because everyone was going to the store and buying toilet paper. And people were buying way more than they needed, but that was the problem. And so toilet paper was gone like that. They were buying up all that was available. Time is something that nobody has, but everybody wastes. 
Your time in this earth is short in light of eternity. Think back on the last few months. I bet it feels like just yesterday we were celebrating New Year's or Christmas. And now it's June. Young people, ask someone with gray hair. And I bet they'll say it feels like just last week they were 16 and in high school. Time goes by so quick. Life is short. From the moment you were born, your clock, your time was running out. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Each of us has a date with death that is coming. And that's exactly why we need to redeem the time. We need to buy up all that we have. We need to use every opportunity that we have to serve and love others. We need to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with our family and friends and neighbors and coworkers because we don't know how much time we have and we don't know how much time they have. The only thing that we can do today is share the gospel and live for Christ. That will last forever. Don't waste your life on vain pleasures and pursuits. Rather, use it to serve your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make the most of today. Redeem the time that you have. We need to be on the path of wisdom because the days are wicked. We need to walk carefully because the world is evil. So where can we find wisdom in this broken and dark world? The Bible has the answer. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So where can we find wisdom? In God alone. God is the source of wisdom. And thankfully, he has given us wisdom through his word. God has revealed to us what we need to know in the Bible. This is why we need the Word of God on a daily basis. This is why we have to be people of the book, because this is our source for wisdom. This is where we go. We have to know the Bible. We need to be reminded of what is right and what is wrong, because we are forgetful people. That's why we need to be in the Bible. God's Word is your source for wisdom. The world offers its own wisdom in many ways. So many celebrities and icons tell us what we need to do, what we need to live for. And sadly, many young people buy into that. Like, yes, you know, they're successful. Must be they have it. So I need to do what they did. The world offers its own wisdom and it's deceitful. But James 3, 13 through 18 warns us about the wisdom of this world. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 say, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That sure does sound like the wisdom that Hollywood offers. Selfish, jealous. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This passage tells us that true wisdom, wisdom that is from God, is pure, meek, gentle, peaceful, open to reason, merciful, impartial, and sincere. This is not the wisdom that the world offers. The world says, do what's best for you. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Do what feels right. But the Bible says wisdom is other-focused, it's God-focused, and it's not focused on ourselves. Last time I checked, my heart is sinful. My heart is corrupted by my own sin. So why should I follow my heart? It's only going to lead me into sin and corruption. I need to follow Jesus, the sinless one, my Savior. We need to follow Jesus. That is the path of wisdom. Living in wisdom is not easy because the world hates God's wisdom. They're not friends. The world hates God's wisdom. The truth of the word of God is not popular, as we see in our, today's world. Following Jesus is not the cool thing to do. And we shouldn't try to push it like it is the cool thing to do. Following Jesus is a matter of life and death. Serious. As Christians, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to represent Christ here on earth as his people. It's funny because many religious cults will separate themselves. They're very closed off. They'll go up in the mountains and live in isolation. They have a closed membership. Sadly, many Christians have fallen into this trap too. But the Bible doesn't say, the world is evil, so go hide in the mountains. Go live in isolation. No, the Bible says that we need to be witnesses for Christ by living as lights in the world. That yes, the world is sinful, the world is dark, but you need to be lights. You need to share the love of Christ with others. The light of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, can penetrate even the darkest of hearts. So don't cower in the fear of the world and its wickedness. Rather, use it as motivation to live in holiness and purity. We stand out as followers of Christ when we are living in holiness, when we are walking in wisdom. People should see something different about us. And if they don't, if they're surprised when we tell them that they're a Christian, maybe we're not on the path of wisdom. We don't want to stand out because we're better than people. We don't want to act like... We're somehow above them. We want to stand out because we're serving the one true God who has given us eternal life. And we want them to have eternal life. So make it a habit today of considering your walk in this world. Look at your habits. Look at your decisions and ask yourself, what path am I on? So not only are we to consider being wise by making the most of today, But we find the second consideration for walking in wisdom in verse 17. 
It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Consider your understanding of the Lord's will. This verse starts with a therefore, meaning that the previous command that we just talked about, about looking at our lives and determining what path we are on, is the basis for this command. As we look at our walk in this world, we need, as we determine what path we are on, rather than becoming foolish, we need to understand what the Lord wills. In fact, that phrase, do not be foolish, could be translated as, do not enter the process of becoming foolish. Don't start down the path of foolishness. That term foolish is a little different from the term in verse 15 for unwise. The unwise person is someone who does not know the truth or have any concern for it. While the foolish person is a step further. It's someone who lives recklessly and has no discernment. The unwise person refers to one's mind, while the term foolish refers to one's practice. Both terms describe what we're not to be as Christians. Paul is saying, don't be reckless, don't be careless in your conduct, or even begin down the path of such things. In contrast, we are to understand what pleases the Lord. And this is a process too, right? We don't have the full understanding of the Lord's will on a moment's notice. This is something that we have to learn. We are commanded to start down this path of understanding the Lord's will. Now, there's a lot of jargon out there in Christianity in, in today's culture about the Lord's will. There's so many books out there that aren't very helpful because the Lord's will is not some mystical destiny in the stars that you, need to, that you need to read through your aura. It's not something that you have to meditate on and it will come to you. God's will is revealed in His Word. God's will for your life is in the Bible. This idea of understanding the Lord's will is actually tied to verse 10 where it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the Lord's will, what is pleasing to Him, what God wants. God's will for you is to trust and obey His Word. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 tells us what God's will is, and it puts it simply, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will for your life is for you as his child to be sanctified. That is to be made holy as the spirit of God uses the word of God to make you more like the son of God. Here in this passage, God's will for your life is to carefully walk in wisdom in an evil and broken world. I believe that we have a hard time understanding or maybe even accepting the Lord's will because we don't always like it. We don't always like the Lord's will. It's not a Disney movie where you have the hidden superpowers all along and you just have to unlock it when you believe in yourself. God's will is straightforward. It's black and white. It's, it's not easy, and we don't like that. We would like it to be easy. This process of sanctification is slow and painful. 
as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we become more and more aware of just how sinful and awful and broken we really are. And this is a painful process. We like to tell ourselves that we're pretty good, that we're doing okay. But the Bible says otherwise. We are wicked people, and that's why we need God's grace. That's why we need the grace of God on a daily basis. We need God's power to change us into the likeness of Christ. Because we can't do that on our own. We cannot change ourselves. We need to be on our knees before the Father, seeking His mercy and grace on a regular basis. I'm thankful that God has clearly revealed His will in the Bible. We can go to the Bible anytime and seek direction. God doesn't leave us to interpret the stars. He wrote a book for us in our own language. Growing up, every Saturday, my dad would work all day around the house. He'd have Saturday off, but you, didn't, you didn't, wouldn't think that. And I didn't really like Saturdays very much because it never felt like the weekend. Because if my dad was working, we were expected to be helping him. My dad was a farmer, so he doesn't take days off, as many of you know. And so we would always be out there helping him, and whatever job it was usually involved a tractor or a chainsaw or a wood splitter. And dad was famous in our house for using hand motions to try to communicate, which is probably why I use hand motions so often. So, but the problem was we had no definitions of what a given hand motion meant. And we were often not on the same page. So over the noise of a tractor or a wood splitter, Dad would be trying to communicate what he wanted you to do. And you're sitting there like, hey. And then you could tell it was getting bad when you just go. And then he'd come over to you and show you what he wanted you to do. And you're like, oh, why didn't you say so? My dad was very gracious to us because we, we didn't understand what he meant. He'd be doing all these hand motions and I didn't. I didn't get it because we had, no, we had no grounds, we had no standard for what a given hand motion could mean. It could mean one thing one minute, totally something different the next minute. The communication was not effective because we were not on the same page. But thankfully, with God, His will for us is in black and white. It's in a book. It's probably on your lap. We don't have to interpret hand motions in the sky. We have a book that communicates to us in our own language what the creator of the universe wants for us, what he desires. Once you can grasp this idea of God's will, it will help you make decisions. Whether it be what car to buy, where to go to college, what to invest your money in, or whatever it might be, God has a plan for your life. And God often lets us choose what to do next. He gives us different options. Sometimes the choice is simple. There's a good option, there's a bad option. But oftentimes, it's not that simple. They're both good options or they're both bad options, and you really don't know. So what do you do? You choose one, and you trust the Lord to protect and guide you. If you really believe that God is good and all-powerful, and that He cares for you, then, he, then make a decision and trust Him with the results. And if you make the wrong decision... And he will give you grace and help you, to make, and help you to learn from your mistakes. And if you make the right decision, then remember to thank God for his mercy. Hard decisions are some of the best opportunities for demonstrating your faith in the Lord. Because you can commit those decisions to him. 
You need to consider your understanding of the Lord's will. So as you consider your walk in this world, you need to make the most of today. You need to understand the Lord's will for your life. And finally, you need to consider what is controlling you. You need to consider what is controlling you. Verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In this passage, Paul has been using this pattern of prohibition followed by a contrasting command. So basically, don't do this, rather, do this. He's used it three times. And here in this passage is, don't be drunk with wine, be filled by the Spirit. He commands believers to not be drunk with wine. The emphasis in this passage is on intoxication itself, not so much on the substance. The Bible is clear about drunkenness. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, 20-21, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. In the New Testament, Romans 13, 13, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling, in jealousy. 1 Corinthians 5.11 But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So drunkenness, habitual drunkenness of unrepentance is grounds for church discipline and separation. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 tell us that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 21 tells us that drunkenness is a work of the flesh. Paul is repeating a set standard of scripture. Drunkenness is sin. It is foolishness. Believers should have no association or participation with intoxication. Drunkenness leads to debauchery or literally Reckless abandon. When someone is drunk, they are reckless. They are careless. That's why we can't drink and drive, because people get hurt. What does that sound like? Reckless, careless. It sounds like the definition of foolishness that we talked about earlier. Thankfully, God's grace can cover our sins, and there is forgiveness for the drunkard if he repents. But for you, Christian, understand this, as we'll see in the rest of this passage. Drunkenness is in direct opposition to what God is trying to accomplish in your life. Drunkenness is in direct opposition to what God is trying to accomplish in your life. Let's look at this contrasting command. To be filled by the Spirit. ESV says, with the Spirit, but by is better. A passive command in this passage. So this is not something that... We're doing, this is something being done to us. The Spirit fills us. And we are to submit or to surrender to the Spirit. At the moment of salvation, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. It was promised in the Old Testament and has now been given to us in Christ. 
We have the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. This is a good thing. This is not a command to get more of the Spirit. You need to get more of the Holy Spirit. No, you are already filled with the Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is talking about control. The, the Spirit fills us when we surrender control to Him. To be precise, the Spirit is the instrument of the filling, not the content. So what is the content of the filling? What is the Spirit filling us to? Well, we have to review this fullness language of Ephesians. This is really interesting, so buckle up. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7-10. through 10, We're looking at the fullness language of Ephesians. It's all referring to the same thing as we will see. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 10. In Him, this is talking about Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him through things in heaven and things on earth. Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 3, 17 and 19. It'll become a little bit more clear what we're talking about. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. That's Christ. He gave these to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is the purpose of the church. And what is the goal of this church in verse 13? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In summary, as Christians, we are being changed into the image or fullness of Jesus Christ. As the indwelling spirit actively works in our lives, we are being brought to the fullness of Christ. Here in Ephesians 5.18 We are commanded to surrender ourselves to this work. This is sanctification. If you remember from previously, this is God's will for your life, is for you to be sanctified. And here we are being commanded to surrender ourselves to this work. Because the Spirit of God will work in you if you are a Christian. So submit yourself to Him. We need to be submissive to God's work for changing us into the image of His Son. Submission to the Spirit of God means, first, not being controlled by other substances, as we saw in the first half of the verse. Don't be controlled by other substances. 
Don't be intoxicated with wine. And, and second, submission to the Spirit means humbly recognizing your need for God's grace. Humbly recognizing your need for God's grace. So how do we know when we are being filled by the Spirit? Well, verses 19 through 21 give us the results of a Spirit-filled life. These, these actions with ING are results of what, what the Spirit is working in us. As the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ, as He changes us into the image of Jesus, we produce kind and encouraging words to others. We produce joyful praise to God, thankfulness to the Father, and humility. When we are being filled by the Spirit, our speech will be focused on God, like the Psalms and songs of old. We will sing together corporately. This is why we sing in church. Not just because we sound nice, but because the Bible tells us to. And it's a result of being filled by the Spirit. A spirit-filled life will joyfully sing to the Lord. A spirit-filled life will be thankful for all things. That's a major test right there. How many times are we less than thankful for our circumstances? Probably within the last couple days, there was frustrating moments that you were less than thankful for what was going on in your life. But here it says, be thankful for all things. The text says that someone who is surrendered to the Holy Spirit will give thanks always and for everything. And who do we give thanks to? It says, our God and Father. Our holy and righteous God is also our Father because of the work of Christ upon the cross. Jesus died for your sin so that you can have His Father as your Father, as your eternal Father. And Jesus is the only way to the Father. You cannot have salvation, you cannot have a relationship with God and any other than through Jesus. And that's why we give thanks in His name. Christians need to be thankful people. And verse 21 might be the hardest one of them all. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As sinful people, we want power. We want praise. We want glory. We desire the praise of men. We desire fame. We desire a pat on the back. But the Spirit-filled life will joyfully surrender their opinion, their glory, their honor to help someone else, to serve someone else. This type of humility is only possible by the sovereign grace of God working in you through the Spirit of God. Remember, these virtues are results of what the Spirit is doing in us. We can't do these things on our own. You're not expected to do these things on your own. They require exceptional humility, love, and faith. Only the Spirit of God can produce these fruits in your life. But you have to submit yourself to Him. And you can't let yourself be intoxicated with the things of this world. We need to consider what is controlling us. What is influencing us. Are you letting the substances like money or alcohol or entertainment control who you are? Or are you seeking to surrender yourself to the Spirit of God. 
don't get me wrong, this is not a Jesus take the wheel or let go and let God kind of deal. You have to actively consider your lifestyle and make decisions that are glorifying to God, as we've seen in the previous verses. But you can make those decisions with a heart that is surrendered to the king. God is working in you, but you still have to work and serve him. And as you serve, as you do what he wills, he is working in you and changing you into the glorious image of his son. If you want to grow in your faith, then you need to understand God's plan of sanctification. You serve God while he is empowering you, molding you, and shaping you into the image of Jesus. Christ-likeness. That is why we have to be more aware of what is influencing us. Anything that takes you captive is in direct opposition to what God is doing in your life. God wants to gloriously change you into the image of his son. But you resist that work when you surrender to the substances and the pleasures of this world. The following verses after our section deal with different relationships. They deal with the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, and the servant-master relationship. The only way that we can be a godly spouse or parent, child, or servant is by surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. These things listed in the next few verses, we can't do on our own. These are also results of when we are filled by the Spirit, these things will come. Wives will submit to their husbands. Husbands will love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children will obey their parents. Fathers will provoke their children to wrath. Masters will be kind to their bondservants, and bondservants will serve God as serving their master. These are only possible as the Spirit of God works in us. As a husband or wife, you should seek to demonstrate the love of Christ to your spouse. As a parent, you should be aware of what is influencing your child. Do you want the world to teach them right or wrong? Or the Bible? God commands parents to train their teachers their children in the teaching and admonition of his word. You must make the Bible a daily part of your family life. As a servant, as an employee, are you working for the Lord or for the praise of men? When the boss comes around, do you work a little bit harder? Or are you always working hard because you understand that you're serving God in your work? These are only possible as the Spirit of God works in us and we surrender ourselves to him. As we conclude this morning, you need to ask yourself, am I walking carefully in this world? Our world is seeking to destroy your faith and rob your testimony because it's led by a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Be on guard. Be wise by redeeming the time, understanding the Lord's will and considering what is controlling you. Consider what path you're on today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that as your children, we would apply this truth to our lives. Pray that anyone here, if they don't know you, if they haven't placed their faith in Jesus for salvation, that they would do that today, Lord. May your spirit work in each and every one of us. May we be surrendered to you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.